This morning, if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 4. This morning, I, uh, I've been led of the Spirit of the Lord to continue the teaching we were doing on Wednesday night. And to do that by preaching this message this morning, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? I'm not going to teach the lesson necessarily exactly as we would on Wednesday evenings, but I can tell you right up front that I can't get through all of this this morning, but the Lord knows that. The Lord knows the hour. He knows every individual that is here. He knows the needs of your life. And so this morning, we are going to let the Lord work in our hearts as we look together. What does it mean to be saved? I want to come boldly before all of you this morning and ask you to look deeply in your own heart and to answer this question. Can I say with full assurance right now that I know that I belong to Jesus and that I am safe and secure before God in Him? You've got to ask yourself that question this morning. I want you to look deeply in your heart this morning. Can I say with full assurance right now that I know that I belong to Jesus and that I am safe and secure before God and Him? Because, friends, the most important question of the hour is this. Are you saved? Are you saved? Is it settled in your heart that if you breathed your last breath on this day and met God before this day was over, is it settled in your heart that you would be ready and that you know that you are His? Now, I believe to answer that question, you would have to know the answer to the questions, what is salvation? Who is really saved? And how does a person get saved, as we say it? Can we lose our salvation? Or can we live with the full assurance that we are kept in Christ by the grace of God? We ought to know the answers to every one of those questions this morning. Now, if you're here today and you are saved, you say, Preacher, I know that I am saved. I know in my heart that I belong to Jesus because I'm trusting in Him as my Savior. But I can't tell you that I, I, I honestly can't tell you I know the answer to every question you just said. That's all right. That's why we come to church. We come to learn. We come to grow in our knowledge of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But the most important question of the hour is, is do you know in your heart without doubt that if you met God today, you're ready? Are you ready to meet God this very day? So let's read the scriptures here in Matthew chapter 4. I want to begin in verse number 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway, immediately, left their nets and followed him. And going on thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, and a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. 
The, the, the statement, the invitation, the words that Jesus used were, follow me. And these men received an invitation that day, and the invitation to become, uh, was to become followers of Jesus. And here begins their journey of salvation. And friends, an encounter with Jesus is the only way that that ever begins. We must encounter Jesus Christ to be saved. Whether it was Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, or whether it was the Ethiopian eunuch that found Philip on his journeys, or whether it was Bartimaeus on the outskirts of Jericho, or Zacchaeus inside the city of Jericho, everybody that is saved, salvation begins with an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I want to make the case this morning that this, follow me, is the biblical distinctive of true salvation. And emphasizing this has a very important purpose. We need to know why it matters that we understand this. We're learning this year in our theme, in our vision, to be strong in the Lord. And part of the spiritual armor of Ephesians chapter 6 is the helmet of salvation. And there are a lot of relentless attacks on the mind of the believer. And having our mind covered in the right knowledge of what it means to be saved will help us keep our head in the battle. Amen? That's what the helmet's for, is to protect your head. And having the knowledge of what it means to be saved. Not just to, as we said, not just to be able to say, I know I'm saved. And, and boy, that's the question of the hour. Do you know that you're saved? But if you know that you're saved, do you know what it means to be saved? Because if you don't know what that means, friends, you're not going to be a fit for the battle. You're not going to be strong in the Lord. We need to know what it means. The battlefield of the mind is always the place where the war is taking place in our lives. Listen to these words by Charles Spurgeon. I want to borrow from some seasoned men this morning and, uh, and show you how this develops and has been the case throughout uh, the time of the preaching of the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon said, it is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite for this. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. And, and by that he means he insinuates your sins are too great for pardon. You have no faith. You do not repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You have not the joy of his children. You have such a wavering hold of Jesus, uh, the enemy. Satan will say to you, all these are thoughts about self. And we shall never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self and He tells us that we are nothing but that Christ is all in all. Remember therefore it is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ Though that be the instrument, it is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore look not so much to thy hand which thou art grasping Christ as to Christ. Look not to thy hope but to Jesus, the source of thy hope. Look not to thy faith but to Jesus, the author and finisher of thy faith. And friends, what Spurgeon was trying to say was, if you've got your eyes on you, if you're looking at what you do and what you can't do, friends, you'll be discouraged, you'll be cast down, and the enemy will have you believe believing that you're lost uh, and that you can't be saved. Uh, and if you ever were saved, uh, you probably lost it anyway. Uh, and you probably never will say it were saved to begin with. But I tell you, if you let the Spirit of God uh, bring the truth of God to your heart uh, and you'll learn to walk with Jesus and follow Him, uh, you won't have to listen to the enemy because you'll have the Word of God in your heart. You look to Christ. You look to Christ and not to yourself. The call from Jesus was follow me. 
And that call, follow me, would resound throughout the rest of the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 9, in verse 9, as Jesus is passing by the receipt of custom, he sees Matthew sitting there, and he simply looks at Matthew and he says, follow me. And the Bible said that Matthew got up and he arose and followed him. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus, when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And many, 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 many other places in the Gospels, uh, you will see Jesus say, Follow me, follow me, follow me. And I want to tell you something, friends. If you follow Jesus, you will not go wrong. There's one thing I can promise you this morning. You're sitting here wondering, well, I, preacher, I don't know. Preacher, I'm not sure. Preacher, I'm uncertain. I want to tell you, if you'll listen to the invitation of Jesus to follow him, I promise you, you will not follow Jesus to hell. He's already been there, conquered that, and it is finished. And if you'll follow Jesus, you'll follow him straight into eternity, into the a throne room of God and the everlasting life they've been singing about. Now, here's a question worth considering. When did Peter get saved? When did Peter get saved? That's, a, that's an important question to answer, for it answers to us all the questions about how to be saved and how to know that we are saved. Now let's look more closely at Peter's decision to follow Jesus that day. I want to point out a couple things to you. First of all, I'd like you to note something. Maybe as a note, you can look this up. I'm just going to give some references. But this was not Peter's first encounter with Jesus. This was not Peter's first time seeing and hearing Jesus. In fact, if you was to write down John chapter 1, verse 40 and 42, you'll see an earlier uh, account of Peter meeting Jesus and Jesus looking at Peter and saying, huh, your name is, uh, 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 thou shalt be called Simon, son of Barjona, or the rock, or, or you'll be called, the, you know, Jesus is speaking into his life and Peter's like, uh, what? Wait a minute, wait, 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 who are you? I mean, I, I, just, I just come out to see what you're about. Jesus looks at him and calls him by name and then gives him another name. He's casting some hope in Peter's heart. This wasn't the first time, Matthew 4, that Peter encountered Jesus. I want to show you something else. There was a great work of God in Peter's heart on this day that you don't necessarily see just by Matthew's account. Now, you know it happened. Because Jesus comes up and he says, follow me. And Peter leaves everything and he follows Jesus. But why would he do that? Why would anybody do that? Well, you'd have to go to Luke chapter number 5. And if you go to Luke chapter 5, you can write it down, verse 1 through 11. You'll see that Jesus is teaching that day by the lake. And he, he steps into Peter's boat and he says, hey, hey, launch out a little bit and let me, let me preach to the people. And, and, and then he asked Peter about the fishing and, uh, and uh, Peter says, we fished all night, hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus said, this is all happening in the Matthew 4 account, but you don't see it there. And if you read Luke 5, you'll see how it all builds up. So all that's taking place, Jesus is teaching that day, Peter's listening. Jesus is teaching, he says, Peter, let me get in your boat and take me out a little bit so I can speak to more people. And, and Peter's listening. And then Jesus says when he gets done preaching, how many fish did you catch? He said, I ain't caught anything. We fished all night. Jesus said, let your net down on the other side of the boat. And Peter says, okay, well, uh, you know, I, I don't think you're a fisherman, but, but there's something about you, so we'll try it. They let down the net and they catch more fish than they could haul in. They had to call James and John to come over. And when they bring it all to shore, do you remember what happens to Peter that day? The Bible said that he fell down on his knees. And he said, depart from me, O Lord, 
for I am a sinful man. His heart was broken and there was conviction in his life. And that day, Peter found a place of repentance in his heart. He said, I thought I knew, but I didn't know nothing. You knew everything. I thought I had the answers, but you're the one with the answers. I thought I knew what my life was about, but you're the only one that knows what life is about. And that day Peter surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that same account, Luke chapter 5, Jesus says to all of them that day, He says, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. See, Peter got something right that day. Here's something else interesting you should know about Peter. This wasn't his first encounter. He also fell on his knees that day and and confessed his faith in Christ. But then, a third thing I want to tell you is that I want to go on and point out that this occasion was not yet his invitation to become one of the twelve. You see, sometimes we might think, if we just casually read our Bible, that Jesus walks along, meets Peter that day, and says, Hey, Peter, come on, follow me. And he became the leader of the twelve disciples and the twelve apostles. Not the case. It's actually some time that passes. Possibly six months to a year passes uh, the, some historians who have drawn the, the timeline out will say, but it was some time that passes before later on around Mark chapter 3, you'll find that Jesus goes. Mark chapter 1 is the, the account of this, same as in Matthew 4. And in Mark chapter 3, you'll see that Jesus calls 12 of his disciples and followers to be his close disciples. And Peter was always mentioned first in that list. Now, uh, hang with me on this. You'll see later on in Mark chapter number 9, the separation of the three. You see, Jesus chooses out 12 out of the crowd to be with him. Now, why did he choose those 12? Oh, we don't have time to deal with it all today, but I'll tell you, it wasn't just random. There was something going on in the hearts of every one of those men that Jesus was intrigued by and was drawn to, and he selected them for a purpose. But then among that 12, there were Peter, James, and John. And you'll find that Peter, James, and John sort of draw a little closer to Jesus than all the rest. And through the Gospels, you'll see them being with Jesus in some very intimate places and heavy places and, and, and difficult places and joyous places. And why was that? Peter's name, by the way, is always mentioned first. Why did Peter, James, and John get to see some things and do some things the others didn't? I'll tell you, you need to understand that. We can't get there today, but let me just say it like this. There was something going on in their heart that separated them from the rest. Can I just say it this way? You can have all of Jesus you want, but it's up to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, every disciple was there that day, but Jesus chose out 12 to be with him. And among that 12, he chose out three to be even more with him. And then I want to say this. You follow Peter's life all the way to Mark 14. And you'll see Peter that night before the arrest, saying, Lord, I'll never fail you. Lord, I'll never turn my back on you. Everybody else might, but I won't. I want to say Peter was wrong, and Peter was a little bit ahead of himself, but I want to say there was nobody else that day that had a heart for Jesus like Peter had. And Peter believed with all his heart, there's no way I'll fail Jesus. I love him too much. So I want to just say something about Peter. You see this man grow. From the day he's there on the seashore, not sure what, which way's up and which way's down. On the night of Jesus' arrest, I know he's, being, he's getting too far ahead of us. I know he's about to mess up, and Jesus knows he's about to mess up. But Peter has such a love for Jesus. And hey, when, when Peter denies Jesus that night, I want to point out something. Peter was the only one there. Right? You see, there's a distinctive about Peter that we need to recognize. You say, what is it, preacher? You can have all of Jesus you want. 
You can have as much of the life of Christ as you want. And listen, I want to tell you, every one of those disciples, mine is Judas, of course, every one of those disciples in the larger crowd and then the twelve, everyone that followed Jesus, they're in glory today. And Peter, James, and John are in glory today. And Peter's in glory today. And Peter's no more in glory than the rest of them are in glory. But I promise you this, on the authority of God's Word, that Peter's enjoying some stuff in eternity that some others will never get to enjoy because he gave it himself fully to Christ in this life. You see, you can be saved. You can be saved today. And you can be content. You can be saved and content that you're on your way to heaven and you know. You know you're going to heaven. You can say, preacher, I got some doubts. I struggle sometimes, but I know I'm saved. I I really believe that and I'm going to be in heaven. And I may not be a great evangelist and I may not do this and I may not do that, but I'll be in heaven. You're right. And it ain't about being a great evangelist or doing this or doing that. It's all about whether or not you've surrendered yourself completely to Christ. See, I, I didn't say saved. See, when you get saved, that's all Jesus doing. But you have a choice from that point of how much you're going to give him your life. And, and you'll get just as much of heaven as I'll get. But there's going to be some things called rewards. And there's going to be some endowment of trust in eternity. And if you want to be able to live gloriously in that and be entrusted by Christ with that, hey, you're going to have to give it all to Jesus now. Now, that's for another time. That's for another time. Let me bring this back. You see Peter growing in his salvation, growing as he's following Jesus. And I want you to see in all of that that that, that, that salvation is a life. Salvation is a lifetime. Uh, this, This all begins in a moment in Peter's life, but it continues to unfold through the rest of his life. As he follows Jesus Christ. Is salvation a journey? A process? What does it take to be saved? Let me say it this way. Salvation is getting saved, being saved, and forever saved. That's what salvation is. And it's important that we understand every bit of that if we're going to live the true life that Jesus has purchased for us. It's about getting saved, being saved, and forever saved. Now, there are three things I believe we need to understand about what it means to be saved. I can't give them all to you this morning, but let me unpack one of them. Number one, a response is required. A response is required. Now, we may call that a decision. We made a decision to trust Jesus as our Savior. Or we may refer to it as, I remember a place and a time that I got saved. That may be language that that you'll hear people use. I I, I made a decision for Christ. I, I trusted. I asked Jesus into my heart. There's different things people say about that. But I will say, you must know that a response is required. You see, uh, when Jesus came that day, he presented the invitation, but Peter and James and Andrew and John, they had to respond to that invitation. You aren't just saved simply because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. You're not just saved because God loves you. You're not just saved because you're a good person. Friend, you cannot be saved unless you put your faith in Jesus, unless you repent of your sin and confess Him as Lord of your life. You cannot be saved. You must respond to the invitation. This is an act of the will of a man or a woman. This is our part. We must respond to God's invitation. No one can be saved by any other way than by believing in Jesus. And that belief is the entrance into salvation. 
In Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas are in prison uh, and they're singing at midnight and they're praying uh, and the earthquake comes and shakes the jail and all the doors fling open uh, and that jailer's about to kill himself and Paul says, hold it, we're still here. He comes in with a light and he brought, it says that he brought them out of the jail and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. They said to his question, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe believe on Jesus. When we believe on Jesus, we are born again. Our sins are forgiven. We're made righteous before God. Immediately this happens. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You see, in God's economy, it is your faith in Christ uh, that makes you saved. Uh, God sees your faith uh, and he counts you righteous. Uh, it is the trust, not in what you can do, not in what you have done or haven't done, but it's faith in who Jesus is uh, and what he's done. Uh, and God the Father says, that's enough. You're righteous by believing him. Peter was given an invitation that day to believe and follow Jesus. And that day he believed. And he made that decision to be a follower of Jesus. Now right here I want to contend with a great adversary of faith. And a great adversary to the peace of our soul. You might be here today thinking, but I too believe on Jesus. And I want to be saved. But I don't remember the day that I made that decision, preacher. I, I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. But I, and I think I'm saved, but I don't remember the day. I don't remember when I trusted Jesus. I don't remember. What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Friends, salvation is not some ceremonial thing. Salvation is not something where we get handed a certificate to prove that we're saved, upon which we rest our assurance uh, upon that certification. There are numerous people in this room this morning uh, who have experienced the letdown uh, of resting uh, your assurance on a place and a time. And the question that matters is, is where do you rest your faith today? Where do you stand today? If you were to stand before God before this day is over, where do you rest your faith today? That's what matters. Salvation's not in the decision. Salvation is not based on that time and place. Salvation is the posture of being in Christ. Now you're either in Christ or you're not. That's salvation. It's best understood as repentance and faith. And repentance and faith is not something you did one time years ago and that settled it all and, and that's what secures you. No, when you got in Christ, you got in by repentance and faith and your life in Christ is a life of repentance and faith. It is a continual trust. It is a continual uh, giving your heart to Him. It is a continual reliance upon who Jesus is. And so what I need to know, what you need to know is where's my heart right now? Right now. Can you say with full assurance that you're trusting in Jesus today? The Apostle Paul in Acts 20 and verse 21, when he was preaching of salvation, spoke of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are saved, now get me, if you are saved, there was a moment in which you believed. There was a place in time. We're not, I'm not saying that there wasn't a place in time. I don't want you to be confused. I'm not saying that you're saved, uh, you know, and it just happens magically. 
If you are in Christ, there was a time you got in Christ, but you may not be able to look back 15, 20, 30 years and say that you remember the day, you remember the time. You may be somebody that's sitting in the house of God this morning and all you know is that in your heart you love Jesus and in your heart you want to follow Jesus and in your heart He's the dearest friend you've ever had and you love Him and you want to know Him more and you're trusting Him to take you to eternity whether you can remember a day or an hour or a prayer. Dr. Adrian Rogers helped me with this some years ago a great deal by putting it into better words than I can put it in. Here's what he wrote in his book entitled What Every Christian Ought to Know. The chapter about assurance of salvation. He says biblical belief, which is confidence, is in the present tense. 1 John 5.10 doesn't say he who has believed. It says he who believes. Our confidence is always in the present tense. Sometimes the question is asked, are you saved? And the answer comes, yes, I am saved. I remember walking down the aisle. But, he goes on, the Bible never uses such an experience as proof of salvation. It never points back to some time when we may have believed on Jesus Christ. It always deals with our present confidence. Some even say, if you can't show me the place and tell me the moment when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, then you are not saved. There's just one thing wrong with that. It's not biblical and it's not so. The question is, are you believing in Jesus right now? Now, I want you to just think about that a moment. Now, that does one of two things for you. That either took a lot of burden off of your heart, or it just caused you to really feel something deep inside of you like conviction. And see, that's where you've got to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God this morning. He's the only one that can tell you. He's the one where the assurance comes from. The response to Jesus in faith is the beginning of our salvation. It's the entrance into new life. Peter followed because he believed. It was the beginning of a lifelong journey, a process of transformation. You know these verses well. If you want to look with me, you can. I want to read Romans chapter 10 this morning. This is a great passage of Scripture, one in which many times we will share with people about how to be saved. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now what we do when we're witnessing to somebody is we've been taught to take that verse and say, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now don't you want to bow right now and call on the Lord? And untold multitudes of people have bowed and prayed prayers and asked Jesus into their heart. And they got up from there with false assurance, went on about their life, and they're just as on the road to hell today as they ever were. 
I want to help you with that verse. He began what Peter did. The day, Matthew 4, 19, Peter called upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean, preacher? He began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's the word epikaleo. It means to take the name of. It doesn't mean to just speak the name. It doesn't mean just to say, Jesus, I believe. There, I did it. It means to take the name of, to be called by the name of someone. It's the same word that would be used to speak of a surname. My name is Mike Barnett. Barnett's my surname. I'm called a Barnett. I have the name Barnett on my life. And that day that, that, that Peter believed and began to follow Jesus, he took the name of Jesus upon his life. From that day, every one of those men began to be identified with the name of Jesus. They began to be identified with him. And I want to make a, a little bit of a distinction here this morning. You see, you'll know whether or not you're saved because you'll look at your life and you'll be able to say from the honest place of your heart, is my life really identified with Jesus? This is one of the reasons that I preach very hard and very often about the dangers of trusting in your churchiosity. There are people that have grown up their whole life, they've been in church. And their Christian life is e equivalent to their time in church. That's how they defend their, their Christianity. Well, I'm a Christian, I go to church. I'm a, I'm a Christian, I, I never miss church. I'm a Christian, I sing in the choir. I'm a Christian. I want to know something this morning. Are you identified with the name of the church or is your life identified with the name of Jesus? Do you call upon the name of the Lord? Are you known by His name? Are you among the people who know you? Are you known by His name? That's what it means. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So perhaps when we hear people say, has there ever been a time when you called on the name of Jesus? We should explain, have you began to be known as one who belongs to Jesus? One who is called by His name? What is salvation? Salvation is the word that means to save, to make safe, to deliver, to heal, to make whole, to preserve. It's used many times in many ways in the Bible. You know, Jesus, because I'm saying this because we use that term saved and we just have this idea of what it means and we've kind of settled on that idea like it. No, it means this. And don't touch that because it means this. You know, Jesus used the word saved to speak of being healed. Paul used the same word for salvation when he talked of being, uh, escaping a shipwreck and drowning in the sea. What kind of salvation were they talking about? The point is, is that it's not even the word. It's not our definition of the word. It's not our tradition built around it. It is the person and the name of Jesus that brings salvation in our life. And he's the only one that Hebrews 7 tells us is able to save to the uttermost. Save to the full end of salvation. To save us entirely. You see, I got saved. But friend, I'm being saved. <laughs> and one day, I'm going to get all the way saved. And that makes me about that nervous to say. You see, Jesus saves me to the uttermost. I don't know if you caught it or not, but I'm still in Romans. Brother Corey read this morning from Romans chapter 5. Where it said there, 
much more than being now justified by His blood, verse 9, we shall be saved. Verse number 10, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved. Thank God I'm, I'm getting saved, been saved, going to be saved, forever saved. Now, now preacher, what is, what, okay, preacher, I, I got it, I got it, I got it. But what, why does that matter? Why are you making such a big deal about it? I don't have time to deal with that today. But I want to tell you one thing. You can have all of Jesus you want. You can be just as close to Jesus as you want to be. You can get, you're going to get to heaven through Jesus. Everybody that trusts Jesus as Savior is going. I won't be any more saved than anybody else. You won't be any less saved or any more saved than anybody else. We are all going to get there through Jesus. But you can have just as much of Jesus right now as you want. And why that matters is this. You remember what Kempis gave us a couple Sunday mornings ago? He talked about how that so many Christians have this weighted conscience and this dissipated heart. We live our lives without real joy. We live our lives without real peace. We live our lives kind of always feeling just this gnawing guilt. We go to church and we hear about the joy of the Lord is my strength, but deep inside of us, we don't feel that joy. We hear people testify and say, boy, I thank God I'm saved and God's been good. And, and they share about their life with Jesus through the week. And you look back and you listen and you say, I don't have that. Well, what do we do? We try harder. We double down. We, we, we find something else to do in the church. Maybe we'll feel better if we'll do more, and we don't. We have a weighted conscience and a dissipated heart. Why? Because we are not learning to follow Jesus. We're not learning to walk with Jesus. And this is what salvation is about. Well, let me close this morning. There are three words that are on that outline I gave out Wednesday night. There's the word belief, the word repentance, and the word conversion. We're going to continue to study those words in the days ahead. But this morning, I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you right now, right now, this moment, this hour, do you believe on Jesus? And when Jesus was teaching in John 3, 36, He talked about believing on Him and those that don't believe. And if you, if you study the, the literal wording of what Jesus used, He says there are those who believe and they are saved, John 3, 36, and then there are those who disobey. And what He says there, very frankly and boldly, is that if you believe Me, you obey Me. If you believe Me, you follow Me. If you believe Me, you give Me your everything. You bear your cross. You surrender all. You let it all go. You learn more and more how to walk with me. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe Jesus enough to follow him? To obey him? Can you say with confidence today, I believe and I will obey? Do you have that settled in your heart? If you can't say with honesty this morning that you're living in obedience to Jesus, what is it in your life that needs to change today? so that you can be more true to Jesus? What is it in your life today that's filling you up and blocking you from that freedom of serving Christ with all your heart? I want to say, I want to, I want to share this, just in case. I just, it's, it's, nud, it's nudging at my heart. Weekend, last weekend I was at home and I was sharing with, with my dad about, I'd heard a preacher talking about D.L. Moody. 
And that was before Rand Hummel was here talking about D.L. Moody. And that just even drove the point home more and more to me. But how D.L. Moody would preach and, 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 and hundreds of thousands got saved under D.L. Moody's preaching. And D.L. Moody, it was said, was not an educated man. He, he had never been, you know, formally educated. He wasn't well read. He didn't have a lot of natural ability and gifting in himself. The only thing he had was the power of God on his life. And I began to think as I was listening to that, well, what's happened? I mean, what's the difference between me and D.L. Moody? Why is there no D.L. Moody's today? Why is there no preaching today in which sinners genuinely will repent and believe on Jesus and, and turn from their wicked ways and be saved? And I got to thinking, different times, isn't it? You know, South preachers are just as eat up with the world today as the world is. People come to church and hear preaching, but they're just as eat up with the world as the world is. You know, D.L. Moody would preach for a couple hours. People would listen. Ah, oh, preacher, they didn't have anything to do back then. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have so much to do. People came to hear the preaching and learn something. Even sinners. Lost people came looking for answers. Why? There wasn't so many things distracting their hearts. Why, shoot, I don't... I don't need this. I, I can't wait to get home. I got this to entertain me and this to keep me busy. And I can go here and go there and do that and do this. And I ain't got time for all that. Just get to the point, preacher. Get to the point. And I got to thinking, that's what's, that's what's happened. Because God hadn't changed. And I began to pray that day. I said, Lord, I just want to let go of everything. I got to, I want more of you. I want more of you in my life. I want more of your power. I'll let, I will let go of it, all of it. So anyway, anyway, I was telling my dad all this. My dad said, you know, there's a church not far from here, and I won't name the names of it. He said, but they're having a great revival right now. He said, they're having revival. I said, oh, okay. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. In my heart, I began to cringe a little when he said it. And uh, he said, yep, they started on Sunday, and by Tuesday night, they had 58 people saved. And my heart just went. And in my mind, I'm thinking, where did all those people come from? And the next thing out of his mouth was, even people who hold positions in the church are getting saved. And I said, there it is. There it is. It's that plague of trusting a decision instead of learning to follow Jesus. So let me, let me just explain that a little bit, okay? I'm almost done, but I'm going to take the time this morning unapologetically. All my Christian life, I've heard story after story after story after story of the person that comes forward in some big evangelistic event, weeping and bawling and saying, Oh, I thought I got saved back. I thought I was saved, but... Some of them have done it three and four and five times. They're living their life uncertain and afraid, not settled, not trusting in Jesus. Why? Because they're trusting in a decision they made. Let me, let me, let me flesh that out. Let's go to that church having revival. And let's just say that one of the people holding position in the church was the music leader that got saved. He's sitting there in the service and, man, there's a lot of emotion and a lot of stuff going on and people are moving. A man that might say he's been saved for 20 years. He's sitting there in that service, and he knows the struggles of his life. He knows that he's, he's done things and doing things that God's not pleased with, and he's wondered about what's wrong with him and why he doesn't have this peace and why he feels like a failure all the time. He wants to be right, but 
He ain't right. He just, he just ain't right. And people start coming forward the first night. People come forward the second night. Boy, the momentum's building. And finally, he gets up enough nerve. He says, well, i got to go forward too then. i just got to get this settled. And he comes down to an altar. And he says, I thought I got saved 20 years ago, but I, I just have no peace in my heart. I just need to get this settled. And somebody says, well, brother, let's pray. Can you believe that Jesus is your Lord? Do you believe he died for your sins? I do, I do, I do. You know that he can forgive you. I, I know it. I want to be forgiven. And they pray together. And that music leader that's a leader in the church gets up and, and he wipes the tears from his eyes. He says, oh, thank God, I thought I got saved 20 years ago, but tonight I got it settled. And everybody goes, wow, yes, praise the Lord. And it's all good. Until about a week or two later. When that man is struggling with the same problems he was struggling with before he came back to that altar and made that decision. Because what he did that night, he chunked the decision from 20 years ago. He said, I've made the decision. Tonight I made a decision for Jesus. Tonight I settled it. Tonight I prayed and I called on the Lord and I settled it. And he's good until about two weeks down the road. When all of a sudden that old stuff comes back. And you know what? He's worse off than he was two weeks earlier. And now he's even more afraid, more doubting, more, more uncertain than he's ever been before. And he says, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong with him. He's been taught to put his faith in a decision rather than taught to walk with Jesus. Because, friend, if you'll learn how to follow Jesus, you'll learn how to walk with him. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. Right? Boy, whoever wrote that song really had it settled. Amen? Now, preacher, why are you saying all that? I'm saying, friend, you can't have it settled. I'm asking you, will you believe Jesus today? Will you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to trust in anything I did or I didn't do. I'm going to trust wholly in Christ. It ain't about my hold on Him. It's about His hold on me. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that He was buried, that He rose again, and that He come to heal you and complete you and make you whole? And will you receive? him into your heart. Will you do that today?